want to encourage you, if you have yet to do so, to pick up one of these on your way out. It is the daily Bible readings for this season of Advent, season of Christmas. We actually began the readings this past Monday, and we were thinking about what Calvin mentioned to us earlier in this service, what the Carr family did for us when they lit the candle that we focus on expectation of Christmas. You'll find that the readings in this book, booklet entitled Christmas Mix, deal with expectation, which we're going to talk about this morning. This coming week, as we read together, will be on the idea of preparation, followed by proclamation, and then fulfillment. That will take us up to the week of Christmas. And then the readings of Christmas week itself, leading us up through the very first Sunday of a new year, will be dealing with anticipation. So these general themes will uh, provide the, you know, the topic, the worship planning uh, throughout the Christmas season, and you don't want to miss out on it. So these are readily available. Tied to this uh, is an email uh, update that I get every day that just comes up on my computer that reminds me and will link me to the reading. And a special feature we have, since it's called Christmas Mix, is... We have chosen Christmas carols for each day's Bible readings. You can access those through the Internet, through a a music streaming uh, app that you might have on your phone or on your computer. Isn't too uh, hard to handle. Uh, I don't know how it works, so don't ask me if you can't figure it out. But you can ask Rob Peterman, who was leading us in uh, this song just a moment ago, But you can ask someone how to help you set things up so that you can get the most out of the readings for this Christmas season. So I just urge you to pick those daily Bible reading booklets up. This morning, we want to think of what this first candle represented by way of expectation. Already, my expectations have been uh, shattered or altered after what I've heard uh, up to this point now. Because you see, for me, the expectation of missionaries while I was growing up would not have been a family like the Owens. It would have been uh, something totally different. It would have been a, a person who was called to preach or called to lead music and would go off to a foreign land and start a church. It never would have dawned on me. The expectation wasn't there that God would bring along someone who had a successful career, who had a degree in something other than uh, Bible or theology. But that's how God is at work. And I'm grateful for people like them who go to the far corners, the other side of the globe. We have an opportunity to pray and support them. So expectations, once again, when it comes to Christmas... You have to understand that our expectations and what is real, what God has asked us to consider, could be far apart. Expectations, for me this morning, based upon our readings in this past week, I want to focus on a prophecy out of the Old Testament. It's the Old Testament prophet Micah. Micah lived in the 700s B.C., long before Jesus would ever be born in that manger. Micah prophesied during the reign of three kings in the land of Judah. If you remember your history, 
you have one nation of Israel until after that great, white, great wise king Solomon died. And then there was a civil war and the nation split in two, north and south. The north called Israel from this point on. The south kingdom called Judah. Israel, that north kingdom, we know fell to the Assyrian Empire in 722 B.C., give or take a few years. Their capital of Samaria was decimated and leveled. And the north kingdom and those tribes fade from history. We really never hear from them again. The land of Judah, the south kingdom with its capital in Jerusalem, lasted until 586 B.C. So Micah is prophesying even before the north kingdom falls in 722. Long before the kingdom where he lived, the south kingdom would fall in 586 B.C. But if you look at Micah's prophecy and you survey it, you will find that it basically breaks down into three parts. The first third of that book, he outlines the sins of society, that if you listen to them, if we had time to read them, which we don't, you would wonder if Micah were not living today. The injustice toward those who have little. Religious leaders who were in it just for the business of making a profit. A government system that is failing because of poor moral choices. That's one third of his prophecy. The second third of his prophecy is the coming punishment that will come based upon the sins of the people, the sins of people like you and me. And then the final third of his prophecy is one that outlines hope and restoration after the time of punishment is over. And it's there in the seventh chapter of Micah, the seventh verse, where Micah talks about, in the midst of uncertain times, an anchor, a place of stability. Bible says it like this, but as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation, for my God will hear me. Expectation. Micah said, I will wait. In the midst of living in a society that is far from God, in the midst of living in a society that God has told me will have to endure punishment and suffering because of their sin, I wait expectantly for the Lord. Now, Micah had no idea that the Messiah would be born 700 some odd years later. Micah didn't have that information that we have. But his his expectation, his faith in God, his looking beyond society that was crippled and sinful, beyond even the punishment that he prophesied would come, understood and knew that God had great days in store for those who had put their faith in him. Micah said those words mid-700 B.C. It was 700 years later that we know the expectation of God's anointed one would be fulfilled. That's the point of the whole story that we've been talking about through most of this year. It's the point of, of the Bible. 
That God would send forth His only begotten Son. He would be born in a manger in Bethlehem. And Jesus would grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And He would go to a cross and He would die for our sins. And He would be placed in a tomb. He would be raised, not just raised, resurrected on the third day. He would ascend into heaven. And we today wait upon His return with certain expectations. But I want to draw you to a passage of Scripture. It parallels the the birth of Jesus. We all know that if you know anything about the Christmas story, it's going to be found in the third gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. You'll read it this season, no doubt. We'll share it in our worship services. On Christmas Eve, when we gather here for our two Christmas Eve services, no doubt Luke 2 will play a portion, will play a part in that service of celebration, because that's the description of the birth of Christ. But it's the verses following that I think help us to understand about expectations of this Christmas season the best. I simply call it a Christmas blessing. It's based in that second chapter of Luke, but it's beyond verses 1 through 20. The context is very simply this. After the Christmas story is told, Mary and Joseph do what the custom of the law commanded. Within the first week of the baby's life, they have him circumcised and they give him a name. That name had already been given to them. His name would be called Jesus. But there was a period of time before Mary and Joseph could bring their child to the temple to dedicate him. It was called a a time of of waiting until purification, until all of the the medical attendant circumstances of birth could, could resolve themselves. And that was 40 days according to Jewish law. So the scripture says that when Jesus was just a little over five weeks old, Mary and Joseph bring him to Jerusalem, to the temple. That's no easy journey. Remember, they lived north in Galilee and the village of Nazareth. It was a good two to three day journey if you made it at a pretty good clip. But they brought their child, their son, to the temple, fully expecting to go through what any young parents did with their newborn child, to bring the baby before the temple, take him up the steps. As they were walking in, they would purchase a sacrifice, an offering to God. If you were wealthy, you would afford to buy a a lamb. If not, perhaps a couple of turtle doves, birds. The Bible says that Mary and Joseph purchased turtle doves. They were not among the elite class. They didn't have the financial resources to, to buy such an extravagant offering, though certainly they would have if they could have. But they did what they could do within their means. And the Bible says, beginning in chapter 2, verse 25, as they were walking up the steps, no doubt to that outer court where the Gentiles and where women could congregate, the following happened. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. 
He came in the spirit of the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and he blessed God and he said these words. Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. It's pretty amazing when you think about it. Here is a man that though it doesn't say he was a senior adult, it certainly appears that way. He was up in years. Some say Simeon was a prophet because that's why he was hanging out at the temple or maybe he was a priest. Scripture doesn't say that either. It does tell us that there was a man named Simeon who understood that God would reveal to him the identity of the Savior before he died. Interesting. You notice how God brings people to meet other people at the right time in the right place. You know, the Bible says that Jesus was born in the fullness of time. That's what Galatians 4, 4 tells us. Which tells me that Jesus was not born a moment too early or a moment too late. But that in God's ultimate plan, Jesus came to this earth at just the right moment. And here it's amazing that God arranges the circumstances where a man named Simeon would cross paths with Mary and Joseph. Now, you think of all the people that lived in Jerusalem. And you think of the, the chances of... This man crossing paths with Mary and Joseph. Don't know what the odds would be, but I will tell you this. The reason that Simeon crossed paths with Mary and Joseph, the reason that Simeon was in the right place at the right time is because Simeon was searching. Simeon was looking. Simeon was making choices in his life that honored God, and he wanted to be in the right place at the right time. And he understood what God had revealed to him. And therefore, every day of his life, he spent trying to be in the right place at the right time. What about you? What about me? I mean, do you have the foresight? Do you understand and know that God has plans for you? Or are you just aimlessly wandering around? Are you not looking for anything special? Or is it, is it the fact that God's blessing upon your life is so far removed from, from your imagination or anything you could take to be reasonably true? Is, is that why you live the way you live? Is that why this season is one that you just want to endure and get through? Simeon, if he teaches us anything, tells us that we can be the kind of people, we can be the kind of men and women who what? Who are searching, who want to be in the right place at the right time. And it all ties back to expectations. Well, what Simeon said tells us a lot. In those words, he mixes a lot of Old Testament prophecies. He doesn't quote necessarily from a particular passage, except save one. But 
everything he said in those opening remarks to Mary and Joseph ring true with what he had read in the Old Testament. What did he say? He talked about seeing God's salvation, the blessing of salvation. That that was the first words. Now, Lord, your servant is is able to depart in peace, which means I can die now. That's literally what he meant. He said, I have now seen your salvation. And that is something to see. But not only did Simeon understand and know that this child that he held in his arms was God's promised redeemer, but he added to it that this child would be the blessing of salvation, not just for Jews, but for all people. That's why he said in, in my Bible, the New American Standard, it's in all capitals. I don't know if you saw it there. He said, a light of revelation to the Gentiles is basically a direct quote from the prophecy of Isaiah, who 700 years before, along with prophets like Micah, had talked about the coming of God's anointed one and how that anointed one would not just be the blessing of salvation for Jews only, but for Gentiles, for everyone else, for all of us. I want you to pretend for just a moment that this room is, is life. This room is the way things are. Did I leave my phone there, Marcy? Did you hand it to me? That's okay, I'll get it. Thank you. I want you to pretend that this room is, is the world, is life. And I want you to take a close look at the furniture. Most of it's fixed, pews. They don't move. You got a platform here. You got steps here. You got a balcony up there. You got a choir loft back here. You got an orchestra area right here. Now, I want us to pretend that we all get up and we've got five minutes to look at the furnishings. Then we're all going to leave the room. We're all going to line up in the hallway over here. And then we're going to cut the lights. And don't cut them yet. But as soon as we cut the lights, we're going to have to come in here. And this is what I want you to do. When we cut the lights, I want you to pretend you're not going to get up, but we are going to cut the lights. When we cut the lights, you're going to pretend that you're out here in the hallway, and you've got to come in, and at a fast pace, I want you to walk up this aisle, across the mid part. I want you to go up into the balcony. I want you to come back down. I want you to stand here on the pulpit with me. Would you please cut the lights? Can you do that? Or... Oh, look what I've got. I've got a light. I've got a guide. You see, if this room represents the world, if it represents where we're to go and what we're to do, we all have our own expectations. We all have our own idea of what's real and what isn't real. But when we come in... If we don't have the light, if we don't have an ability to see and to make it through life, then we're going to stumble all over one another, all over this furniture, because we can't see it. We may have our own idea, but if this is what's real, the only way we can get through it is with this. Okay, thank you, Don. You can turn the lights back on, please, right now. Okay, thank you. Simeon said... I can now depart in peace. I have seen your salvation. A light 
of Revelation. He included the Jews. They were a given. But he included the Gentiles as well. You see, what do you expect? What do you expect out of a Savior? You may think that You've got your own idea of what's real, what life is really like. But when it comes right down to it, when you've got to move out, when you've got to make choices, you willing to walk through life in the dark? Simeon said, the salvation of God is a light for all of us. He also said, concerning his own people, that they could be a blessing by reflecting God's glory. The glory of your people Israel. That's how he said it. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and an opportunity for God's own people, the Jews, to reflect the glory of God who has sent his salvation among all people. See, that applies to us today. That if we truly understand Simeon's words, then we're going to be able to say that now... We see what Simeon prophesied. We know because of where we live on the other side of the cross, the other side of Christmas, and because we have taken him and made him our Savior and our Lord, we have the opportunity, what? To help guide people, to help people understand that as they're trying to fumble their way through life, however well they may think they know where the furniture is and where the path will lead, they're walking in darkness. And we can show them and reflect God's glory by the choices we make. But that's not all Simeon said. Before he was done, he talked specifically about expectations. It's found in verses 33, 34, and 35. He said his father and mother were amazed at the things that were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them, and then he turned to Mary, his mother, and he said, listen to his words carefully, Behold, This child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel. A sign to be opposed. A sword will pierce even your own soul. To the end, the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Is this your idea of what happens at a baby shower? This is what you want to hear? I mean, that first part, good. Good on you, Simeon. Thanks, I mean, you talk about being a man in the right place at the right time. That's what Mary and Joseph needed was someone, a a grandfather type, to take this child and to be able to see exactly who he was. Mary and Joseph knew. They didn't have any idea anyone else clued in. He's going to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles, the glory of your people Israel. This is the God. This is the salvation of God himself. And then he adds another thought or two. Once again, they all go back to what Simeon understood to be the message, the clear message of the Old Testament. When he talked about what can you expect if you follow Jesus, well, you can expect rejection first and foremost. We can expect rejection. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. We can also expect suffering. No doubt about it. We can expect suffering to follow us if we put our faith in Christ. Now, where he's coming from with this strange illustration, 
is straight out of the prophet Isaiah. Trust me on this. It's in the 8th chapter, and it's also in the 28th chapter, where Isaiah makes two observations about this coming anointed one. Remember, Isaiah was in the 8th century B.C. as well as Micah. But what did he expect? What did he prophesy? He said that this child will what? Will be a sign to be opposed. He will be a stumbling block is what Isaiah says. And then over in the 28th chapter of Isaiah, he says that God is going to use this anointed person, this Savior, to be the chief cornerstone of God's own people. It's one and the same. See, what's Simeon saying? He's saying, Mary, he said, you of all people are going to understand that this child, as you raise him up, in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. There's going to come a time when the very person of Jesus is going to cut through people, going to cut one of two ways. He's either going to be a stone that they stumble over or he's going to be the rock that they build their lives upon. But either way, we can expect rejection. We can expect suffering. But underneath all of his words... It's very clear that he says, seeing this child, holding this baby, literally for Simeon, seeing him was enough. Holding the baby was what he had been waiting for. That's why he had been directing his life choices to be at the right place at the right time. He couldn't orchestrate that. Only God could. But he had to be open. He had to be available. That was his expectation. And through the years, and especially as we embark upon this first week of Christmas, as we call it, in the midst of everything that's already bombarded you and me regarding gifts, black whatever, the Friday after Thanksgiving, where to line up to get this, and is it worth it, and can I get the best deal? Cut through all that and hear the words of a senior adult man who was at the right place at the right time, who held the baby in his arms and told us in no uncertain terms that his whole life was aimed toward this moment because he had laid eyes on the Savior, the Savior of all, an opportunity and challenge for us to be reflections of God's glory. And the message that this Savior who comes will bring with him and will take upon himself the suffering and the rejection that we've all felt. So, what's it going to be? When you look at this Christmas season, are you going to stumble over Jesus? Is he going to be that portion of the holidays that you reject, that you can't quite get a hold of, so you ignore it? Are you going to be at all the wrong places at all whatever times there are? Or are you going to remember once again and renew your life once again to Jesus as the stone that you build your life on? It's all about expectations, is it not? Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to gather here to be in your house, to honor your name, and to make choices that reflect our love for you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We conclude our service this morning like we do every week 
God speaks and we offer an opportunity to respond. We call it an invitation, time of commitment. During this closing song, we're going to ask you to be willing to make choices, spiritual choices. Some people may need to make public choices. Like what, you might ask? Well, it could be that someone in this very room, you found yourself now in the right place at the right time. It's now time for you to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. It's now time for you to quit stumbling over the person of Jesus and begin seeing him for the bedrock, the cornerstone that you can build your life upon. I'm talking about asking Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life, to become a Christian, to get saved, be converted, call it whatever you want. It's a prayer that you pray that causes you to step across a spiritual line. If that's something you want to do, come forward and tell us. There will be ministers and deacons here. If it's something you're confused about, you need help, we're here to help. Maybe you're here and you know the Lord, just never told anyone. Tell us. Profess your faith in Him. Be willing to follow Him in believer's baptism. That sign, that symbol that only God could think of, but one that speaks to the world concerning your love for Jesus. Maybe a church home is what you need. Maybe a place to belong. You feel God is leading you to to join this church. Great churches all around us. The key is to find the right one. Find the one where you can plug in and serve. And if that's us, why wait any longer? If you're still on that search, I'll pray for you that you'll find the place where you can truly serve and be involved in God's kingdom. And then for many of us, People like me, I'm a church member. I belong here. I put my faith in Christ years ago. I followed him in baptism. But sometimes I find it hard to to even want to be in the right place at the right time. Sometimes I find it hard not to be selfish. Sometimes I find it hard not to harbor bitterness. Sometimes I find it hard to live the life God wants me to live. When all along, I just need to think back to Simeon. In his words, seeing Jesus should be all we need. So whatever that means in steps of obedience for your life, make them today. God will honor it and he'll lead you. That's our invitation. We stand together. We wait for you here in the front. Won't you step out and make that choice right now?